We're going to read one verse out of the scripture. So go with me to Exodus chapter 19. And we're going to look at verse 1 for right now. We'll look at some more as we go through. There's a handout this morning that I ask everybody to uh, grab. Make sure you get one. There's enough for everyone. should be enough for every member of your family. It should be great for you to be able to use and take in your personal family devotion. You go over with your family the, the, uh, the tabernacle. We're going to take a journey through there and look at it. And uh, look at all the parts of it. And it's going to illuminate the truth in our hearts about who Jesus is. What He accomplished through His death, burial, and His resurrection. And what it means to us and how we apply it to our lives today as Christians. And so um, we're going to Exodus. We're going to go to chapter 19. We're going to look at verse 1. Exodus chapter 19, verse 1. Um, in reverence and respect for God's Word. If you're physically able, will you stand with me right now while we read? Exodus chapter 19. We're in verse 1. It says simply, In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day, they came to the wilderness wilderness of Sinai. You may be seated. Thank you so very much for standing. I appreciate that. They came to the wilderness of Sinai. We, several months ago, began journeying through the book of Exodus. And we were looking at Exodus and all the pictures it shows us of New Testament truth. A very noted Bible teacher once said, and I think it's well put, that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. There's a lot of truth in that statement. And so when we look at them, uh, the children of Israel, their 430 years of Egyptian bondage, their supernatural release from an almighty God from that bondage through uh, the parting of the Red Sea and their journey from the wilderness to the promised land, we see in that a picture of our life in Christ. And we talked about the types or the shadows or what that represents. And some of you will remember, and I hope that most of you will. We started going through that, and when we got through that, and we got here to this point, and we were going to take a strong look at the tabernacle, God redirected us to a couple of passages in Isaiah and other places. And then He led us into a verse-by-verse verse study that took us several months to go through the book of Nehemiah. And we now know because of the things that God showed us in Nehemiah why He took us on that journey. Now... He's refocused us and got us back to Exodus. And God willing, we're going to finish our journey through Exodus. And so we start here. This is where we left off. I'm going to have to pick up and repeat some of the things that we shared with when we did leave off to, pick, to get everybody up to speed. But as far as the types are concerned, as far as the pictures are concerned, you know, we've talked about this time and again. This is a great example. Remember this. I heard a pastor say once that a wife of... Uh, a uh, military World War II veteran was in his congregation. And he would go by and see her while her husband was away fighting a war. And she would carry with her an 8 by 10 photograph of her husband. It didn't matter where she went. You catch her at the grocery store and here would be this awkward, bulging 8 by 10 photograph of her husband that she somehow or another got in her purse. And you'd see her out and about at the grocery store or wherever she might be, she'd have this 8 by 10 carried with her. But the very moment, the very moment that he safely returned from his service to our country, 
the very moment he got off the plane, the very moment that she went and ran into his loving arms in the tarmac of the airport, guess what she did with the 8 by 10 She put it up because she had the real thing. In one sense, the, New, the Old Testament is the 8 by 10 And we look at that and we see the pictures of things to come. But when, when the real thing comes, you, not that we put away or discard the Old Testament, but when the real thing comes, we get the full revelation of why it was written. And it was written to reveal God's Son and His redemptive plan in Him. Now, when we go through the book of Exodus, we see the pictures, the 8 by 10 shots. It's a preview of coming attractions is what it is. And if we look at that through those lens, we will ferret out of this biblical truth that will flat out change our lives. As a matter of fact, it will illuminate and kind of turn on the New Testament in a way that's brand new to many of us. One of the things we talked about as far as the typology is concerned, the, the 430 years of Egyptian bondage, what does Egypt represent? The world. What does Pharaoh represent? The devil. 430 years of bondage into sin. The penalty and the power and the presence of sin that has to rule over us, helpless and hopeless. This is the plight of the children of Israel. This is the plight of those who are without Christ. What does God do? He chooses them sovereignly. What reason? Why did He choose them? Because He saw a bunch of lawyers in that bunch? Or attorneys? Or maybe some doctors? Anything like that? Why did He choose them? Because He wanted to. That's all the Bible gives us. And that's all we need. God said, I chose you because I chose you. Period. Any other questions? He chose them sovereignly. And when He did, He marked them out for salvation. He marked them out as a nation through whom He would send His beloved Son. And then on the Passover, the typology, the, the pictures are very evident. What happened? They were told on a certain night, stand up, eat your dinner, standing up, sacrifice a lamb according to specific instructions. Take that lamb and sacrifice that lamb and take the blood of that lamb and put them on the lintel and the doorposts of your home. And when the angel of death passes through Egypt and kills the firstborn, I will pass over you when I see the blood. Oh, isn't it evident what the typology is there? Do you know what the word shepherd means? What does the word shepherd mean? Does anybody know? Door. It means door. It means door. Who's the shepherd of the sheep? Jesus Christ. He's the great shepherd. And on that door, His blood was shed for God to make a way in for sinners like you and I. His judgment passes over those who trust Him in the blood. Don't ever forget this. Don't ever forget this. And don't ever forget this. For the repentant, it's all mercy. For the unrepentant, it's all justice. You take a pick. I don't want what I deserve from God. Do you? And so, we go through, we're going to look in, we're going to flash up a, a picture of the tabernacle, God willing, on the screen, just to give you an idea of what it looked like. And we're going to go look at that, and we're going to give you some things to give to your family and do during your family worship time. But this morning, let's take this one and use this as a catalyst to launch us on this journey. Let's look at our notes right here. Very amazing. Look at this. Two chapters in the Word of God are devoted to a description of the creation of the world and mankind. Fifty chapters are devoted to the description of the tabernacle and its related ministries. Two chapters devoted to the Word of God on the creation story. Immensely important. Fifty chapters, that's your fill-in, fifty chapters devoted in the Word of God to the description of the tabernacle. There's a picture of it right there and what it would look like in the priest who would enter in and his priestly garments. We're going to go through every one of those and we're going to talk. But here we come into the journey into the promised land or hopefully into the promised land. What should have taken how many days? 
Now, how many days should it have taken on the regular route if they would have obeyed God and listened to Him and when they were supernaturally delivered by God through the Red Sea and God parted the Red Sea, a picture of our salvation, brand new, sovereign God working supernaturally to redeem every last one of us and what should have taken how many days wind up taking 40 years. Does anybody know how many days it should have taken? How many days should have taken if they would have listened and believed God they could have gone from the promise from the from Egypt to the promised land. Does anybody remember? Eleven, eleven. It, 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 that was an eleven-day trip. It turned into forty years because of their disbelief. Can I say this? Do you remember last week that we made the case that we believe in the text when you see Lazarus being raised from the dead? And just before Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, the Bible says in John eleven thirty five, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And we made the case that the reason he wept was not any other reason except for the rank and file disbelief that was around him. You understand? You know why? Because he'd seen that kind of disbelief for, before. That kind of disbelief turned an 11-day trip. Watch me. It turned an 11-day trip into 40 years because they didn't get to enter into the promised land because of disbelief. That's it. It's the seedbed of all sin. It germinates. That's the place where sin germinates is disbelief. And he said, okay. They, they, so, so we find them now three months. Look at our notes. According to Exodus chapter 19, verse 1, the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sinai. How many months? Three months after they were delivered from Egypt. You're filling in three. So three months is where we catch up the narrative in Exodus chapter 19. Okay? Now, look what God does. Let's look at the notes here. God summoned Moses twice. He summoned Moses twice to the top of Mount Sinai to meet with him. Both trips lasted 40 days and 40 nights. Our reference for that is Exodus chapter 24 verse 18. Exodus chapter 34 verse 28. You know, when we think about the trip to Mount Sinai, and we think about Charlton Heston, and we think about Cecil B. DeMille's, and we think about the Ten Commandments, and all of that, and everybody's seen that movie, probably. Have you seen the movie? Okay. We're talking about Green Acres this morning, and several of them in here said they've never seen Green Acres. I said, how dated I am. I'm starting to get into that zone where you mention stuff, and people look at you and go, what was that? Okay. We think of the Ten Commandments. Be honest with me now. When you think of the Ten Commandments, just be honest. Don't look at your notes and just let me ask you this question. Just ask a question. You think about the Ten Commandments and you think about Moses going up onto the mountain. And you think about him meeting with God. Meeting with God in a cloud that God comes down and you think about him meeting there. What's the first thing you think of that he got while he was up there? The law? The Ten Commandments, right? Don't you? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Right? Don't you think of that? They got the Ten Commandments. While he was up there, God inscribes on stone the Ten Commandments. We have them in Exodus chapter 20. We went through a study of the Ten Commandments. You remember that? Right? And Jesus asked about what are the greatest commandments. Remember that? He said, remember this? I'll be right there. And Jesus asked him uh, when, the, when the religious leaders were trying to trip him. Do you remember that? And they were trying to paint him into a corner, the son of the living God. And they asked him, he said, listen, teacher, teacher, big mistake. He's not just a teacher, he's God. He said, what are the greatest commandments? What is the greatest commandment? Remember the question? What did he say? 
Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. And the second one is like it. And you think, Jesus? What is that one, Cindy? Love your neighbor as yourself. And you think, Jesus, did you listen to the question? He just asked for one. But see, you can't have one without the other. Because love for God manifests itself in love for one another. And what did He say to us? On these two, watch this, the first commandments, the first, the first four commandments govern our horizontal relationship with God. I'm God. That's it. Just worship me. Don't make anything that looks like me. Don't, don't take my name in vain. And you remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Arizona. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, thy mind, thy strength. The next commandments govern our... I mean, vertical. Did I say horizontal? Vertical. Right? Chad knows the difference. He's educated. Praise your name. Chad, catch me on stuff like that if you can't. Vertical. Alright? The rest of the commandments govern what? Our horizontal relationships. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Honor your father and mother. And Jesus said, on these two hang all on, on these two hang all the law and prophets. In other words, one day I'm going to fulfill it. I'm the only one who can. And God's going to hang me up there as the living sacrifice to atone for the sins of those who broke the law and could never fulfill it. I'm going to fulfill it in your place. Do we serve a great God? See? And so that's the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are a picture of the cross. Just like everything else is in the Bible. And so what happened was he gave them the Ten He goes up there and gets the Ten Commandments. But here's what we don't often focus on. Watch this now. Watch this. Watch this and stay with me. Watch this. This is incredibly important. So as much so it relates to your salvation and your ability to accurately communicate it. And you've got to stay with me for these next few weeks. You'll hear nothing in your life that's more important than this. Nothing. Alright, now listen. Here's the deal. It governs these relationships. But it's a picture of the cross. Now, he, we think of the Ten Commandments. He comes up and He comes to the Ten Commandments. And He did get the Ten Commandments. He did get the law while He was up there. But something else happened while He was up there. He made two trips. Let's look at the first trip. Look at your notes. In Exodus chapters 19 through 24, we have the detailed account of the commandments, statutes, precepts, and laws given to Moses by God. We just said that. That's Exodus 24:12 tells us that. Then here is the here is what else he got while he was up there. Don't forget this. This is what else he got when he was up there. In Exodus chapters 25 through 31, we have the record of the pattern of the tabernacle. That's your fill-in. Tabernacle given to Moses by God. That's Exodus 25, 8 and 9. It's where God introduced that. Introduces that. Here's the deal. He gave the law and the tabernacle at the same time. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. And as we journey through this, you're going to understand why. He gave the tabernacle. And you see it there. There it was in the middle of the camp right there. He had all the children of Israel line up to the north of it. They lined up to the south of it. They lined up to the east of it. And they lined up to the west of it. And there in the center was the place 
depicted by the artist in the drawing with the cloud above that represents, not represents, but that is the presence of God. And he said, at this place I will meet with you. And you know, you can't just approach me, you can't just keep running there and say, hey God, how you doing? There's a prescribed way for you to come into my presence, because why? God is holy. Okay? And so they've got the walls behind, see the walls around it, the white walls around it, it was very specific, and God used all of that narrative to tell Moses just exactly how he wanted it built and raised up artists and craftsmen and everybody that was necessary within their midst to build it. In the center, you'll see, with, uh, it's torn open so that we can see inside it, but in the center was the holy place, and then on the farthest end of the holy place is the most holy place. And inside that most holy place is where the Ark of the Covenant is. And this sojourn, this journey throughout the wilderness era, they set up that and took it down wherever they went, and that was their place of worship. Just as a preview of coming attractions, he did put them to the north of them, to the south of them, watch it, to the east of them, and to the west of them. So when you get the bird's eye view of it, what do you see? On these hang all the law and the prophets. It's the cross. That's the message of the Bible. And so we see him there. Now what we're going to do, God willing, is after we introduce the fact that he gave the law and the tabernacle at the same time, we're going to walk in there. We're going to symbolically walk in there in that front gate, the red one that's nearest us, and we're going to walk through there and we're going to encounter the bronze altar and we're going to go past that and go beyond, and we're going to look at all the furnishings of the tabernacle, and we're going to learn as we go through that journey what they're there for and how they represent and give us truth about Jesus Christ. We're going to do it. And see, we can take this and we can teach it to our children, and we can gather around. I've got pamphlets for every last one of you. It's got the priest's garment on there, and every element of the priest's garment we'll study. Every element of the tabernacle we'll study. And we'll marry the, 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 uh, the adornment of the tabernacle with biblical truth we find in Hebrews. And you'll be so excited about your salvation, you'll shut up about it. And that's the point. That too many of us have gotten saved and we got over it. Amen? Look what He purchased for us at Calvary. So we're going to journey through there, but you've got to stick with us. But we want to introduce it today. He got the Ten Commandments. What else did he get while he was up there? Tabernacle. Extremely important. Now he goes a second trip. Let's look at it. Look at our notes. In Exodus chapter 32, three months in, we have the record of the children of Israel. Here's your fill-in. Breaking the law by committing idolatry before Moses had even descended from the mountain with the law. Breaking is your fill-in. Idolatry is the second fill-in. Do you remember the story? Who remembers it? In Exodus chapter 32, what happens? Moses is up on the mountain communing with God. What do they say? They say, listen, let's build a golden calf. So they built a golden calf. They took all their jewelry that they carried with them from Egypt and they molded it together and melted it together and built a golden calf and worshipped the golden calf and said, this calf delivered us from Egypt. Can you imagine that? Within a eye view of Mount Sinai and a cloud up there and Moses communing with the God of glory. And by the way, there's only one. 
And while they're, while he's up there giving him the law and giving him the tabernacle, the means by which he could come and meet with them, what do they do right out of the gate? Three months into the journey, what do they do? They, they build a golden calf and they worship that golden calf and say, this is what delivered us from Egypt. And I say this to you. There's some golden calves in here. The government did not deliver us from our sin. The Republican Party did not deliver us from our sin. No politician delivered us from our sin. A new car didn't deliver me from my sin. A new house didn't deliver me from my sin. And all the things and all the hopes and dreams that we might have is not what delivered me and you from our sin. The penalty of it. The power it has to rule over us and the hope of one day delivering from His presence. The blood of Jesus Christ did that. Before we be too careful, let's be, let's be cautious about being critical of them and saying, don't you want to say, how could you think like that? How could you possibly think like that? And why a calf? You know why a calf? You know why a calf? Because what they were saying was, you know what calves have a tendency to do if they're not killed? What do they do? They grow up to be cows. That's an amazing truth this morning, isn't it? Y'all gonna go back and tell everybody. We learned in church today that calves grow up to be cows. They grow, you know what they were saying by building the calf? What they were saying was, is our hope for future provision is in this calf. Many of us look at our bank accounts the same way. Many of us look at our 401ks about the same way. Many of us look at Social Security the same way. I'm here to tell you they're golden calves. I'm my provider and my source is God. What does God mercifully do? Look at our notes. Moses intercedes for the people as a picture of Christ, our intercessor. The Bible says in Hebrews 7.25, He ever lives to make intercession for us. And God subsequently has mercy on them. Aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you grateful for that? Whatever golden calf you got, bust it up this morning. And let me tell you what, if you'll take it to Calvary, God will forgive you for it. Just like that. Amen. Amen, Praise the Lord. Brother Lewis has mercy on them. I want you to listen to this statement right here. Listen to this now. Listen carefully to this statement. Listen to this statement. Carry it home with you. Chew on it. Listen to this statement. Read the law. Read the law of God. Go back in Exodus and read Exodus chapter 20 and following. Go back and read the penalty for violating God's law. And this is what you'll find. What God did for them was an act of grace that was not dictated by the law. Did you hear that? The feeling is grace right there. What, they, what He did for them was an act of grace that is not dictated by the law. In other words, there's nothing in the law that says, you know what God, I think, feel sorry for it. And I'll have mercy on you and I will, I will forgive you. Let me tell you what the law says. Look at this. It says in Exodus 22, 20, He who sacrifices to any God except to the Lord only, he shall be utterly destroyed. Now let me ask you a question. In that law, is there any grace there? Do you see it? 
Is there, is there an end somehow that we can nudge ourselves in and find a loophole or a technicality to exploit? Is there some way that we can just kind of ease ourselves in and say, God, don't destroy the lot of us because in your law is found something. It's not there. It's not there. It's not there. That's why He gave the tabernacle. That's why He gave the tabernacle. Watch this. We'll wrap it up after this. God summons Moses a second time to return to the top of the mountain in order to meet with him again. Exodus 34.2 Moses was there with the Lord for another 40 days and nights. Exodus 34.28 tells us that. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments yet again as He did in the first trip. Ten Commandments is your feeling. He gave, he gave the Ten Commandments. Can I say this to you? I was thinking about this this morning and Joe and I were talking about it. Do you remember what happened to Judas after he betrayed Jesus? you remember what happened to him? You can speak it out loud if you want to. remember what happened to him? Hung himself. What did he do before he hung himself? Took the money back. He tried to return the money. Right? They betrayed Jesus with it. What was their response? Gee, we're glad to see you. I'm so thankful that you're broken over your sin and we'll take the money back and redeem it and give you a gift card. So the next time you come in here, you can purchase something again. What they say to him? They didn't want it. They didn't want it. They didn't want it. Why, Wendy? Because his guilt could not be satisfied by returning that money, could it? The very place that his guilt could be satisfied was at the cross of Calvary, and that's the very place he refused to go. And so, you know what? The law offers no recourse. Hey, religion offers no recourse for a guilty sinner. And by the way, God only saves ungodly people. Did you hear that? The only people that God saves are ungodly people. God can't save a godly person. You know why? Why? why you want to answer? Anybody? They don't recognize their sins? Because there's no such animal as a godly person. And as long as you think you're godly, you can't get saved. See, the law offers no recourse. Judas said, let me give the money back. Let me get this stain off of me. And they went over and said, listen, we're religious people. we got nothing for you. we got nothing for you. Keep your money, man. Keep your money. And he said, well, I can't go back to Jesus because I betrayed Him. So what does he do? He goes and hangs himself and commits suicide because he had lost all hope. There are people around you all day long, all day long, they're trying to work their way to favor with God. They're trying to somehow or another appease His judgment of them because they know inside their hearts they're guilty. And they're doing everything they can to go to religion and pay it back or any other way that they can do it. Some other false system of belief. Something, something, so that I can make this right. I've got to get this stain off. I've looked in the mirror. There are stains. There are blemishes here. I've tried oil of Olay. I've tried everything else you know to try. I've used up all my credit to try to do it. I've gone to Dr. Snodgrass and Dr. Caudlebum and this dermatologist and that dermatologist and none of them have been able to help. I've still got these wrinkles. I've still got these blotches. I can't do a thing with them. What can I do with them? And the only place that the wrinkles and blotches are satisfied is at Calvary's. Did I say this to you this morning? If you're a believer here this morning, you have a message that is unparalleled. You have a gospel that does not have a rival. You have a gospel and you represent a Savior that no one, no one can find their guilt appeased at their feet. 
except Jesus Christ. Don't withhold it. Don't withhold it. He gave them the law and the Lamb at the same time. The significance of that is, if He just gave them the law, He didn't give them the law because He expected them to obey it. He gave them the law to show their inability to obey it and gave them the tabernacle to appease His righteous judgment for having disobeyed it because all along salvation has always been through the death of the substitute. Capital S. And that substitute, I am so thankful to say this morning, is Jesus Christ. Amen? Can I commend Him to you? Can we commend Him to others? God only saves ungodly people. Period.